This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookends. Kia ora, welcome to Bookends with Moran Rauch and Ruth Todd. And today I have a, it's called a novel, but it's really almost non-fiction, or not completely fiction anyway. And it's uh, about a millennium New Yorker who goes, finds herself at the other end of the world from New York and uh, on Rakiora, Stewart Island. Oh, sounds really interesting. It is. And I'm going to be talking with Kathy Patterson, who's one of the editors of the Radio New Zealand cookbook. And boy, if you're interested in food or you know somebody who does or is, make sure that you um, put it on the Christmas list. And congratulations to the winners of this year's Prime Minister's Awards for Literary Achievement just been announced. Our local uh, hero, poet, fiction writer and educator James Norcliffe has won the prize for poetry. Stephanie Johnson, well-known novelist and short story writer, has won it for fiction and Vincent O'Malley, a wonderful historian, has won it for non-fiction. It's Christmas gift time and this new recipe book, the Radio New Zealand Cookbook, should be top of the list for all your favourite cooks. It's already um, covered in splatters um, from my use of it. It's a compilation of recipes from New Zealand's best-known chefs and food writers who have appeared on the many Radio New Zealand shows over the years. And I'm talking with one of the editors, Wellington writer, recipe developer, food stylist and photographer, Cathy Patterson. What a job, Cathy. How did you get involved? Oh, well, it was, it's been an absolute privilege to be part of this this book, actually. And I was Nicola Leggett, who I've known for quite a, a long time, and uh, she actually phoned me and said, oh, would you be interested in editing the recipes? And uh, I said, oh, look, that sounds fantastic. Send me through a couple, and I'll um, have a look at them and see see how much work they need or whatever. And so that's what she did. And in the end, we uh, did, they did need quite a bit of work, partly because... Some of them were quite, well, they were older recipes, and recipes do change over time, interestingly enough. Uh, trends change, and uh, so and styles change, so we did have to, so we did do a little bit of work on that. Mm. So you you and David Cohen, um, did you both look at the recipes, or did he do the selection of the recipes, and then you did the tweaking of them? Yes, well, uh, David and along with Emily Goldthorpe, who was the project manager, they actually went through all the archives, massive job, and chose recipes. And then they would, in batches, send them to me to look at and to edit. And and I'd have also looked to see if there were any double-ups or, you know, obviously if some of the recipes were too similar. And then uh, we'd work from there. And so, so I'd edit them and then send them back to Emily, who would make the changes. And then sometimes if some of them are a bit fraught, I would get her to send them back and I'd have another look. It actually takes um, quite a lot of looking and, and reading through. And even one recipe, actually, I 
on not onto the third read that I picked up, the oven temperature was far too high for a, a slow cook. So you really do need yes. you do really need to keep looking, and you need a lot of eyes actually over them. So it was so that was uh, yeah, we worked. It was a great team, small team, but um, yeah. So basically, I was doing the rest, doing the recipes that they sent me. Um, does does that involve cooking the you know actually using the recipes to see what you think of them from time to time? Yes, so I did. I did as many as I could, and David and Emily also cook some as well, uh, because mo- a lot of them. Well, obviously, I know most of the food writers and chefs, so I knew how they worked, and I knew their recipes were great, and they they would work, which is the main thing. And so, but there were some that I was not sure of, or one or two things I hadn't maybe heard of so much that I wanted to try, and also, and a lot of them actually didn't have the serving numbers on the amounts on them and so that was quite interesting and so one like for example there was a, co- was a coconut pudding in there which is really delicious and they said it was similar funnily enough to lemon delicious and I thought I thought oh well, that normally serves about four people from the, the size of the dish anyway so I made it because it's very simple and I want to try it and it was um it was quite rich it was really delicious, but so much richer than, than a lemon delicious. <laughs> so I thought, oh, that'll be six people. No, not four. So things like that where I was not quite sure because, you know, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and like to get things right. But, uh, yeah, so I, try, I cooked as many as I could, but it wasn't quite mad because we actually edited more than 100 in recipes. We probably had another 20 on top. Wow. Uh, what a lucky family. They must, uh, you must have had people queuing up at your house to try out yeah, some well, of these. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's quite, it's quite good, and the neighbours love it. Yes. So um, I've got some willing neighbours, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Come in and have a cup of tea and a slice of cake. Well, I like oh, no. the way it's put together, because as David said, you know, because it's a Radio New Zealand um, collection, that um, cooking and the radio go very well together, because most of us do do our cooking to... Well, I definitely do it to Radio New Zealand. And so it's um, you hear these recipes and, and want to make them, or you're cooking your own, your own recipes and the radio is keeping you company. Oh, yes. Well, so I always, I've always said that too, because you can't... Um, radio's perfect, but you can't watch television and cook. So, you, so radio's amazing. So you can just yeah, have it on the background too, and it's just something to listen to while you're cooking. Um, but yes, it's uh, it's perfect for that, and it has, and it's just, and the other thing is that it's such a resource, isn't it? The website there is, is mm. such an amazing resource, which I think was really inspired of them to to think about doing this and and actually getting it off the ground. Yeah, well, I I often make a very quick judgment on cooking books as to whether they're going to be useful to me or not. I don't know what it's based on. It's not, you know, a scientific thing. It's just a, a gut feeling. And I knew when I picked this up and started leafing through that there would be lots and lots of recipes that I would that I would use and mm. um and have already had a go at several of them. And um they've been great. So a wonderful resource. Um I'm I'm of the generation that remembers Aunt Daisy on the radio. So um, I, oh, well, well, I go well, back a long fantastic. way. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, well, I'd go back as far as Tui. Yes, Tui Flower. So Tui Flower. I, 
I yep. had some dealings with Tui, and um, and she helped me quite a bit in the early stages of recipe writing, actually. So, um, yes, yeah, so no, I can uh, uh, say that too, but not, not da- Daisy. No, um, well, I was a very little girl, but I f- <laughs> firmly remember hearing her. I wasn't taking any notice of cooking then, of course. Mm. But, yes, you've structured it so that you've, Based the you know breakfast early mm. early morning lunch um, afternoon tea and later in the day but you've also got um, a a bit at the end with essentials which I think is really useful. Yes, I think essentials is great. I remember when I because I've had a catering company before I moved into food writing and people used to say to me, oh, can you just make dressings or leave some sauces or leave those things because they we can put together a, a green salad but it's a dressing that makes it. And so I think that, so that's, yeah, I think that the word essential is exactly the right word. So that that's, uh, and there's a lot of them too, which is really good. Yes, um, I made the tahini yogurt to go with the um, sumac roasted cauliflower the other day. And um, it went perfectly, but it's there as a resource now for other for other yes. things I might cook. Yes, totally, and I think, and it is, and the, all the recipes, pretty much all the recipes, are very approachable, and uh, and that's what I like. Oh, and tell me, how do you feel about uh, no images? I felt fine about that um, because you just concentrate on the recipe. I don't. I think they're so straightforward, as you say, so approachable that you don't need a pretty picture. You know, there are some line drawings in here, but I don't think you need an illustration of what you're making. I think no, your I think imagination provides mm. it. Oh, perfect. That's exactly what I was going to say, and I think that's uh, you know that ima- your imagination and, and how wonderful to be able to use your own crea- creativity for a, for a change. And I think, and I mean, look at that beautiful, uh, whimsical lime drawing of Pippa's on just when the afternoon section that choc- the chocolate cake with the berries. I mean, you could eat that off the page. <laughs> so I think uh, I think actually images would have made it quite. Um, Unattractive in a way, I think, because it's the the book is so beautiful. They've used such great paper stock. It's almost like card, isn't it? It and is. As you turn the pages, and yes. it's got a beautiful feel about it. And there's lots of uh, blank space, which makes it very approachable and not crowded. So I think, um, yeah, and a beautiful cover. So I, yeah, I do. I think it's a, a really beautiful book. And I love the variety of of people that. Um you know, you've you've used. Obviously, I I guess you're going for what they're what they've recommended. But mm. you know, it's it's a real um, tribute to how many great cooks and food writers we have here. Oh, totally. And in, in, in that main period of, of when uh, so many uh, food writers and chefs are putting out cookbooks, which is you know for the last thirty years, there's that there was so many amazing, fantastic food writers that. That then they're all in there, and it, it just goes. Just, so that's an amazing history as well, and, and what they were cooking, and and you know, and the fun thing is too that there's people like you know, I'm not going to wanting to be naming too many names, but people like Julie Lacare who has the Syrian um, heritage, and then uh, Julie Buso who married into an Italian family, and then they became her family, so she had that Italian bent. And which we all couldn't get enough of, could we at the time? No. And and then even someone like Lorraine Jacobs, who's got a Tongan heritage, and 
and she does often does a plethora of, of uh, raw fish dishes. So I think you know those sort of all those sort of things are shining through too. And then and then going on now even closer to this time is the fabulous Monique Fiso, who really has been ground a ground shifting influence um, with indigenous with an indigenous Kai focus, and she sounded out out the, uh, the country by doing pop, hangi pop-ups and then before she opened her uh, restaurant here, Kai, in 2018. So you, you're seeing throughout the book too these shifts of uh, food writers and, and what they're cooking, which is fascinating. It sure is. And I loved it. Um, Jesse Mulligan's done the um, int- uh, the foreword um, and he, he points out that when you're when he's doing an interview with a food writer, people are busy sending in texts and emails, <laughs> so, um, wanting wanting really um, you know specific details about what temperature the eggs should be or um, all mm. those kind of details. That's that's so funny, really. When you when you realise that social media or whatever you like to call it or new forms of digital messaging can have people doing things in real time. Oh, I know. I know. It's quite different. It's like the last, the one of the first recipes that they sent through to me actually was a uh, one of the food writers. Obviously, it was an, old, an older recipe, and obviously someone was writing it down when the food writer was speaking, and then they put that up on the website, and it was quite funny. It was sort of like, now take out if you're covered four ramekins, if you haven't got any ramekins and you could use teacups. And I'm like, whoa, where do I start from here? So that, you know, it was sort of, um, it was quite interesting. But then I also, it was quite, it was quite serendipitous because actually at the same time I'd heard a, a, a feature on the radio about someone talking about food editors and how, in the analogy with a midwife. And so that, you know, you're not actually producing, you're, you're helping it, the, re, the recipe on its way so, and to bring it into life. So I thought, oh, maybe I'd better pull my head in a bit and not over-edit. So that was quite good. So, yeah, so I think, you know, the recipes were really in that like that too. They were quite, um, quite different. Well, thank you for doing a um, fantastic job, you and David Cohen, Cathy. Um, this, as I say, has already got... Um, splatters of oil and um, messy fingerprints on it so good the book is the Radio New Zealand cookbook, a treasury of 180 recipes from New Zealand's best known chefs and food writers, edited as I said by David Cohen and Cathy Patterson and beautifully produced by Massey University Press You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9 Jessica Caney was born on Manhattan Island in New York City and now resides on another extraordinary island, Rakiura, Stewart Island, New Zealand. She's lived there since 2002, editing the Stewart Island News since 2005. And between island lives, she's graduated from Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, lived in San Francisco, wrote for the Jackson Hole News in Jackson, Wyoming, and worked in Hawaii. On Rakayora, she has worked at the pub, the post office, flight centre and his desk crew for her fisherman husband. Other hats include librarian, rat trapper, trail runner, vovo foodie, artichoke enthusiast and running a myths and legends club for kids. Her writing has appeared in all kinds of magazines and um, articles in North and South, New Zealand Geographic, New Zealand Gardener, etc., etc. And besides boogie boarding with her boys, 
her favourite pastime is splitting wood. Jessica, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here. Well, you're the first person I've interviewed on Stewart Island. Um, really? Even though I lived there in Invercargill and um, used to go there as a kid um, for holidays with another family. Um, you know, no cars or anything on the place then. So it's oh, just wow. a long time ago. You've made me uh, wish my appetite to go back. because oh, I, you should come down. Yes, I'm, I'm hoping to one day. A Runner's Guide to Rakiora, and it's a novel. Did you have um, any choices? Did you think about writing it as um, non-fiction or it is kind of non-fiction in the novel? Is there quite a bit of non-fiction isn't in there? Um, there is. It's sort of, um, it's sort of fictional non-fiction, actually. Yes. So some of the stuff in there is a little, bit, um, a little bit made up to suit the narrative. And I got that idea, that format, um, it was loosely based on Moby Dick, actually, which is you know, a big splice of the yes. narrative and the non-fiction. And people who read Moby Dick, there's sort of this joke that some people read every other chapter. And <laughs> I think Moby Dick is pretty marvelous if you read the whole darn thing. So I thought that would be fun to try and, you know, um, have that as the format. And, yeah, I did have a little idea in my head to write a nonfiction runner's guide to Rakiura. And then I thought, who would want that? Because I like running and I like to explore places as a runner. And I would never want to have a, I wouldn't want to know what's behind the corner. You know, I wouldn't want to read a guide beforehand. I mean, that's the joy of running and exploring is, is you find out yourself. So I gave up on that idea, but I, I did want to include running in, in a work of fiction and see if I could do that, make it enjoyable. Well, it's very enjoyable. Um, I, you know, don't not for a while. I don't think I've met quite so many wonderful, wonderfully um, lovable and eccentric characters who uh, seem to um, frequent, frequent the pub most nights. Um, I just imagine you all there, and it, it must be like the centre of the um, centre of the place now. Yeah, it, it it is. I mean, there are people who don't go to the pub that often, or they might just go um, go on Sunday nights for um, for quiz. Um, and then there's people who go who go more often than than that. So, but I don't want to paint a picture that everybody on Stewart Island is like you know hanging out at the pub. People here are quite quite busy and yes. drink in moderation, or or some not at all. So, oh, yes. yeah. But the the story that I tell it's through the lens of. Of somebody who is in, you know, who's young, sort of irresponsible, twenty-one, in party travel mode. So she certainly likes to hang out at the pub. So it's through her her lens. So obviously, those are the characters that she meets. And this is Morty. Morty, yes. Running into the future from New York and from um, Buddy, who she's lived with and grown up with, and. Uh, She's an adventurer, she's a traveller, and she ends up on on Rakiora at this time as she travels from New York. Did you, um, you've been there quite a while now, so you must have a good feel for the place. You must be a well-known character around the place. And um, um, did you compare it with, were you thinking about um, quite a different place from New York, I'm sure? 
It, yes. It, I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> short, short and long answer, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you really had an assignment, um, or Mordi had an assignment to cover the Aotearoa trails and uh, write about them and send them back to New York. To, um, was kind of a tourist thing she was getting involved in? Yeah, well, that's that's Mwadi in the book. Um, yes, but not when you. I first came here. I I was a I, I was a freelance writer, and I did a bit of um, sniffing around the place and writing for um, a tour a tourist um, publication. But I didn't. It wasn't specifically running trails. Like the the premise of her, which is she's she's looking for extreme runs. So it's a book that's going to be about the southernmost possible runs you can do around around the place. So that's what brought her down here, um, and that's it's a little bit absurd. Mm. And she um, meets Bill, and uh, who's a fisherman and um, a, jazz, a jazz player, a band. He's in a band, and uh, that um, that's a great friendship, isn't it? the two of them, um, she needs somewhere to live and stay and he's got a, he's had somebody staying there and he invites her to stay there too. And so it's, um, it just seems to gradually, uh, as we read through, it's, it, things kind of happen, not at great speed, but lots of words <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and lots of dreams. Too, she dreams a lot, and we gradually um, find out her background and what's happened to her before she came to Rakiora, and that's another story in itself, really. And um, and I kept thinking to myself, how much of this is you, and how much of this is uh, fiction? And um, as we said, it's it's a mix of both. And uh, I thought that was a great way to write it. You you said somewhere I read um, that so you'd had another four chapters of dreams that you had to take out. <laughs> yes, um, Maudi suffers from night terrors, and so um, even though the book was meant to be sort of um, fun and joyful and romantic, uh, it's also about trauma and how people deal with trauma and. Um, work through it in the different ways that, that we do. Um, and that's where the night terrors come in for Maudie. But also in her her dreams, there's sort of a touch of, or a question mark around, does she, if there, is there any kind of magic there? Does she see the future? You know, and so there's, there's ideas there around um, premonition, I guess, and our, our inner instincts about things. Um, and and what is that? There's there's sort of I, I sort of approach stuff in the book, the big questions in life, or um, yeah. And you do this um, through the character of Tuku. Yeah, um, Tuku is probably the most um, unknowable or the most mysterious figure in the book. And I like that it, it, there's, uh, there's layers of mysteries in the book. And at the end of it, the reader, you the reader, know more than the protagonists know. You've so, you, you're able to solve a little bit more mystery 
than than they are able to. And I like to think that at the end of the book, the reader gets to know Tuku better than anybody in the book. Yes. I think he's he's in, he's interesting and he's mysterious and he's also I reckon he's pretty underestimated. Well, that's how I felt, and and the mystery became like a thriller, um, really, as um, she was searching his past, and um, he's, I won't say any more about that, um, to give you too much um, detail, but but he was a war, war, World War II veteran, wasn't he, and had yes. been at Monte Cassino, and... Uh, was quite a. Uh, some people on the on the island took him seriously when he came back, and he talked a lot about think things and mysteries and treasure and all sorts of things. But no, most people didn't take him too seriously. But Morty um, really researched his life and what he'd done, and um, it became a very exciting finish. Yeah, well, I love a treasure hunt, and I thought, how can I? How can I do a treasure hunt and make it a bit different? So I thought, well, first of all, let's have a treasure hunt, but there's, there's nothing to go on. There's just a rumor. There's no, there's no person who buried the treasure. There's no treasure. There's no treasure map. There's none of the components that you need for a real treasure hunt. So you're starting for, with nothing. And then let's make the person who's on the treasure hunt just kind of an irresponsible, inattentive um, waster at, from, at the pub. So, you know, and then let's see what happens. A good idea. Great idea. Um, it's full of great ideas, this book. And uh, very, it's just different. Um, I can't uh, even talk about the differences, but it is different from any other um, fictional writing I've, I've read lately anyway. I can't think of anything that I could sort of compare with this book. I take that as a great compliment because I'm a huge, huge reader. Um, and I love it when I read a book and then I can't, quite, I can't quite describe it to somebody because it was just different. And I thought it would be really cool if I could do that, if I could bring a book into the world that's, that's just a little bit doing something a bit different. Well, you certainly have, and uh, of all the people, besides the one we've, ones we've mentioned, um, who would be another character that you really loved? Uh, I love um, I love Miriam. Yes, Miriam's probably my, one of my favorite characters. Yeah, she's uh, she's the lady who she runs the um, she runs the museum and the library, and um, she's just super super passionate about the island, and she's super smart. But she's also she resonates with me a bit because she loves her dictionaries and her words and her dictionary stand and her libraries, and but she's also a little bit forgetful. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. She, I identify I like, with Miriam the most. I liked her too, and um, uh, this. Uh, I, I know that the feeling of what I thought when I finished the book a couple of days ago, I thought, how am I going to talk to um, Jess, Jess about this? Because you, it's quite hard to, because there's so much happening and and um, you can't give away secrets, of course. And um, 
it's, uh, you know, she's not um, your usual detective figure. <laughs> no. Maudie at all. And, uh, you know, there's wonderful stories about um, the dune grasses and the pod polit politics on the island and the seafood and the birds and nature. And I love your mention of hoi. Oh, the Yellow-Eyed Penguin Trust, and you're bringing in so many, so many, so many things. Yeats Poetry's there, which I love, and uh, it's it's got so so many different things, and the lovely little um, little uh, what do you call emojis on the pages. And this, mm -hmm. I'm going to go back and read it more slowly um, because I don't think I took everything in. It was it was so um, it's it's. Yes, it's it's a book that you can go back and reread and re and open it anywhere and have another viewpoint rather than read. It's, it's sort of that that is um, sort of the intention, but I don't want to scare people off the book and they're like, oh my gosh, it's like some sort of assignment. No, but no, you no. You can opt into that that level of it, and I would recommend if you get really into it and you get to the end that um, you and, and it, it, there's a lot of playfulness with um, choose your own adventure books too there, but the, the idea is turn turn to page one when you get to the end and go back and if you read it again you can get you can get quite deep into it there's a lot of layers there yes that's but you don't have to you no, can just read no, it for the read it for fun, fun. and you mm. know <laughs> <laughs> read it any way you like but it's yeah. well worth reading and i highly recommend a runner's guide to rakiora a novel by jess caney and it's published by quentin wilson publishing And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.